Praise the Lord. Well, let's open our Bibles. It's, where's my Bible? Got to find the Bible. Find the Bible. You haven't got a Bible? Ask to borrow the one next to you. Praise the Lord. I want you to look with me in Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Last uh, time I was up preaching, I just uh, shared with you about slave or son. And uh, we touched on the whole area of uh, an orphan spirit. We touched on the area of God's desire for us to be sons. And there's a lot of that found in Romans chapter 8. So uh, I want to read, first of all, from verse 34. And today I want to just talk about how to break out of victim mentality. How to break out of victim mentality. I've read on the internet and searched around, found there's a lot of secular material on it. And uh, it's very helpful. Much of it's very helpful in identifying victim mentality. It's a widespread phenomena that's absolutely devastating to devastating to relationships. People who have this mentality cannot succeed in forming emotional intimacy in relationships. So many times people suffer in their relationships. They've got no idea why, and they just put up with something less than what God intended. But every one of us has a yearning for intimacy. Every one of us has a yearning for something close in the area of relationships. So notice here, and so victim mentality, as we'll see in a moment, I'll define it, is a way of viewing yourself and a way of viewing life that causes you continually to fail in relationships and life. You can be a Christian with victim mentality. And you would live your life in such a way that no matter how much preaching you get, you never break out or change your patterns. And I'm very concerned about the patterns of lifestyle, the patterns of believing and thinking, that we change them so we can unlock the potential and fulfill the destiny that God has for us. But notice this in these verses. Verse 34, who is it that condemns us? Christ Is it Christ who died and is also risen and at the right hand of God who's making intercession for us? Obviously not. He doesn't condemn us. So then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Now that's a lot of difficult, challenging situations. You may not have, you may have had a few of those, of course. Tribulation, tremendous pressure financially, relationships and so on. Distress, persecution, I doubt it, but you might have had some. Famine, I doubt it. Everyone looks well fed. Nakedness, oh, I don't see any of that around. Peril, well, maybe there's some of that. The sword, well, who knows what goes on, you know. There it is. As it's written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We're counted as sheep to the slaughter. Now you notice he's describing a number of extremely painful experiences the church were having. Now, notice what he says. But in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. Now, that's not a victim mentality. What he's saying is the early church suffered persecution, were victimized, hunted down, treated like criminals, were put on display uh, and, and fought with them and destroyed by animals. Nevertheless, he says, we are, actually, we're not just conquerors. We're more than. Eh? And, and more than conquerors. That means we gain decisive victories in life. That means we vanquish totally the things that come against us. It means a surpassing victory, whatever situation we are in. Now, that is the kind of life that Christ died for us to have. 
surpassing victories. I can see that's going down really flat. It's not resonating yet. Because often our experience, this is what happens the moment you hear a verse like that, of surpassing victories. Inside your heart measures up my life experience against that scripture and concludes something is wrong here between what I experience and what this is saying. But the life Jesus called us to is a life of being a victor, of being victorious. Does that mean everything looks good? No, sometimes it looks as though we're terribly defeated and in difficulty. Uh, For example, the early martyrs and people right down through history who gave their life for Christ, were they victors? Yes, they were. Why? Because in the face of opposition, they never quit. They stood up for what they believed in. And that was a victory. Some conquered nations. So the book of Hebrews is full of people who by faith won victories. Victories over lions, victories over enemies, victories of all kinds. The Bible abounds with people who dared to believe God and broke through. But for most of us, the difficulties we face are far more mundane, far more subtle. They creep up on us. And their difficulties and challenges around family and marriage and finance and relationships and the economic climate and business and so on. But in all of these, God says, we can have victory. Doesn't mean it'll always work out good. Not a, no, it may not work out so good. Sometimes we go through very difficult times, but God uses it all to work about a great good so we can have a positive and a strong attitude. So victim mentality is a way of seeing yourself and a way of looking at life. A victim mentality is a mindset and a heart belief system. If it was just the way you think, it would be easy to deal with. In fact, you could look, go on the internet and find some keys that are very, very helpful. However, it's deeper than that. It goes right into the heart. So a victim mentality has to do with heart beliefs and ways of thinking that continually sabotage your life and relationships. And I'll give you a few keys so you can recognize it quite soon. Uh, the essence, a victim is a person who has been abu- who is abused or hurt or oppressed and has no power to do anything to change that. They are the victim of it. A victim mentality is when a person has a mindset, a certain way of thinking where they refuse to take responsibility for their life and their emotions and what they're going through, and instead they put the blame on someone else. They put it somewhere else. So it's a way of interpreting how people come across, how to, what to make of life, what to make of relationships. This is the area where twilight is most dangerous, most dangerous because of the style of relationship it promotes as being wonderful. That's where its real danger lies, apart from anything else. So, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So, uh, there are some examples of it, of course, and I want to move through this quickly so we get to solutions. But you remember in Exodus chapter 15, Exodus chapter 15, let's have a brief look there in Exodus 15. Exodus chapter 15, the people of Israel had been in slavery for... 400 years. Now they have been delivered. They are no longer slaves. Although they're physically no longer a slave, although physically they are free, in their mind they still think like a slave. So, verse 23. 
they came to the water to Marah, which means bitter, and they couldn't drink of the waters of Marah because they were bitter, so they called the name Marah, bitter. And the people, now here's what they did. Notice, instead of looking for a solution, instead of reaching out positively to God in expectation of a solution, the bitterness of their victim state rose up, and you notice what they did. One of the first evidences of, of victim mentality is they complained. Complaining put you fair and square in the mentality of a victim. When people complain, they are just pouring out their grievance, injustice, and hurt, and not taking responsibility. They could do something about the situation. Sometimes it's easier to complain than to look what could I do about this? What are my options? So they said, what do we drink? They complained against Moses. Usually when people have a victim mentality, they find a way to blame someone who is over them, a parent, a boss, a teacher, uh, someone in authority anywhere in their workplace. So when you hear people bitterly complaining, you know they're infected with this kind of mentality. brings disaster on people. As a result of their complaining, Israel failed to enter their inheritance, a lesson for us, if we don't shift mentality, we cannot enter all the good things that God has planned for us. So the remedy, notice what the remedy is. Now, I won't go into it in this session. The remedy is God showed Moses a tree. Now, clearly, there's a lot of prophetic symbolism in that, but essentially, God showed him a tree that when he put it in the water, the bitter becomes sweet. It's an amazing picture of God. The solution to victim mentality is a revelation of God's love and the healing power of the cross. It's interesting. The first thing that they came across flushed up their victim mentality, and the first thing that came up is associated with bitterness. When people have been hurt, abused, suffered, experienced injustice, pain, grief, and various things, they often, instead of resolving it, become bitter. Bitterness reflects in complaining. And so there's a remedy, and the remedy is revelation. Revelation, I'm not a victim. I have a Father who loves me. I have a Father who's got the answer for every situation. I've got a Father who can show me what He accomplished at Calvary, and I can respond in faith and be delivered and healed and restored and develop a positive mentality and experience resurrection life. We'll give you a few simple things on that afterwards. But isn't that amazing? That's the first experience they had, and it was to bring to the surface their victim mentality. Now, the other one we looked at was this. It's found in Luke 15, and this is the elder brother, the elder brother mentality. Now, of course, there are a lot of Christians who are an elder brother. You could be a sister and still be an elder brother. The elder brother is the story. Now, this is the story. We'll just quickly cap on it, then I want to show you some solutions. You remember Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. They have challenged him. And their challenge they gave him in verse 1 is this. You eat with the wrong people. You're eating with sinners. You're eating with prostitutes. And you're eating with all kinds of bad people. And you're making them all your friends. They like you. They gather around wherever you come. You've always got a riffraff, a rabbly crowd of broken people. If you were a man of God, you wouldn't do such a thing. And so they were critical of him. And uh, Jesus then told us three stories. 
First one reveals the work of the Holy Spirit. Second, the work of, uh, first of Jesus, the shepherd. Second of the Holy Spirit. The third of the Father. So these three stories are all one story to show God values people and loves them. But the last story is the story of the father. The father had two sons. You know the prodigal son. And he said, Dad, I, I don't want to live with you. I want to be out. Give me the money. In other words, before you're dead, give me the money. I want my inheritance now. He went out. You know he had a bad life, a rotten life. He, he blew it all. And then he came to his senses, turned around, and he went back to his father with a repentant heart. When he did that, he was welcomed no matter how much he stunk of the pigs and smelt and was broken and wrecked his life. God loved him. And this is the heart of God. He loves people. You say, well, I've got to get my life right before God will accept me. No. This story absolutely blows that. That's a religious mindset. God says, I take you like you are. If you can receive my love and connect with me, I can pick you up and journey you to where you need to be. It was God. It was the Father who restored the Son. It's the Father who put clothes on him. The Father who gave him authority. It was the Father's extravagant love. We need revelation of his extravagant love. Now, of course, the elder brother came in from the field and he said, what's this party going on? Now, isn't it interesting that associated with people's lives being changed, heaven celebrates. Heaven parties. And churches need to celebrate. We need to have laughter and fun and perhaps move the chairs and get rid of all the chairs and get you to run around and jump down and celebrate a bit more. It's, it's very healthy to celebrate. Sitting in pews is not healthy, really. About one or two hours and that's it. You're done for a week pretty well. So, But God wants us to celebrate. And so you notice here, he had a great celebration. Now, the boy, this is what the boy did. Now, notice what he did. Now, he portrays a victim mentality. Notice what he does. Here it is. He said he was angry. He was angry. And notice what he did. He isolated. Pulled away from relationship. Pulled away from his father. Pulled away from celebration. Pulled away from connection. And then it says this, and his father came and he pleaded with him. He pleaded with him. In other words, his father entreated him to shift his heart attitude and open his heart and welcome his brother back in. And, of course, the boy said, you're familiar with it, oh, I've been here all these years serving you. I never did anything like he did. You never gave me any of my goat. I could have fun with my friends and a party with my friends. As soon as the son of yours comes... Devout his livelihood with the prostitutes. You killed the vet of What kind of father are you? What kind of justice is this? And he said, son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. How come I haven't got the fat of calf? Simply this. You've got bad attitude. You haven't got an attitude that can receive a fatted calf. You're in the house, but you're not receiving what God wanted for you. Why is that? He was in the house. Come on, come on, just get, let me just, he was in the church. He was among God's family and he couldn't access what he wanted because of the way he thought. He had a victim mentality and it's, it's amazing the way it showed up. He was, interestingly enough, he substituted works for relationship. He just worked hard for his father but never knew his father. He had no emotional relationship with his father and had no understanding of his father's heart. That's what his problem was. He substituted for relationship being good and working hard. Lots of people do that to be loved. 
He developed a victim mentality in many areas of his life. When we substitute works for relationship, we are convinced we're right and we can't receive the things we want to receive from God. I, I very much have had to wrestle with this myself. When I grew up, I was emotionally quite disconnected. Major effect on my life from quite young. And so the way I dealt with this, instead of connecting, I isolated, just like this older brother did. And what I did was go and do World of Fantasy reading books. And here's the other thing, working hard. I got the diligence prize every school I went at. Why did I get the diligence prize? Because I worked hard. Why were you working hard? Oh, I want you to ask me that. I might have to look at what motivated me to work hard. Actually, I was trying to find approval and love that I didn't feel I had. And so I had a wrong belief inside me that when something like this, if I just work hard enough, I'll be noticed and approved and loved. And would you believe it? There was another belief in there as well. I'm unlovable. So no matter how hard I work, I'm never going to get the love I want. Isn't that amazing? And so year after year, work, 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 work. And I never had the emotional connection with my father that I was longing for and I hope would come with the work because here's what had happened. When I thought I'd done really well, he would look at what was wrong and see could do better. And what it does is it increases the pain and then leads you to view life in a certain way. And here's a question to ask. So, of course, the thing is, as I've journeyed, I've had to try and deal with this stuff. And here's the thing that's interesting. When I became a Christian, it didn't change. I wish it had. It didn't change. It just changed form. Got very busy serving God. Same driving mentality. I'm unlovable. If I just do enough, God will love me. Did I know God loved me? Oh, yeah, I had it in my head. But the problem is it's not in your head that it counts, it's in your heart. And if your heart is programmed with I'm unlovable, you will remain a victim and you'll always look and see all the reasons why things don't work out. You'll have every kind of excuse, every kind of reason. You'll blame everyone and this and that. Even blame the devil. The devil will be the persecutor. Jesus is going to be the rescuer. You have a whole victim cycle operating in your life and you don't learn to grow and become a son who learns how to partner with God in life. This is what God's wanting the church to grow up to our sonship so we learn how to partner with God in life. So the temptation is then, and particularly if in a prophetic flow, is to wait for God to tell you everything and you just do what God tells you to do. When God wants you to grow in wisdom and intimacy with him as the source of wisdom, so you learn not to run everything off prophetic flow, but to balance prophetic flow with wisdom and how to make life work. Well, you probably know someone like that. And uh, I was like that. And for me to tell the truth, it's been a journey to get rid of all of that stuff. And I've had some decisive moments in my Christian life where I encountered the love of God as a father and major changes took place in my heart. I can remember one time just weeping for two hours as I experienced his love in my office and felt the touch of God as a father for the first time. It's tangible, it's real, you can experience it, and when you do, it changes you. Now I'm ready for another dose. 
I believe God's got much more. So I'm positioning my heart for more. So victim mentality sabotages everything. And here's how it sabotages it. <clears throat> because the thinking is, I'm the victim. It's not my fault, you know. It's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. So as soon as you, I'm right. This is the way a victim will think. I'm right. And I'd rather be right than have a relationship. So I'll be right and I'll have a breach. Rather than actually be vulnerable and declare, maybe I'm not right. And even if I am, I really want relationship. So victims view life through someone else's the cause of their problems. And so they're the victim. Our second thing is the victim uh, has, some, has to blame someone. So a victim says, you're my persecutor, it's you. You, you. you did this to me. You're doing this to me. Well, well, that boss of mine did it. And so victims always have got someone to blame. You can listen. It won't take long and they'll find out someone to blame. Israel began to blame uh, Moses, but they were really blaming God. And the, the elder brother began to blame the father. Notice his language is a little careful, but at the end there it is. This son of yours. And you gave him all this money. He's wasted the money, spent it on prostitutes, would you believe? And now you have a party. Hey, what's up with you? So he sees the father as being the source of his trouble. So a person who has a victim mentality will have two other groups of people in the world. One are people to blame, persecutors, people who are against them. They're against me. Of course, church gets that. And they get to start to think like the world's against me. No, the world isn't against me. The world's lost. The world needs us. The world's not against us. Come on, start to think right. We have the answer for the world. We're the light of the world. The world needs us. And so the other thing that a victim has is a rescuer. They must have a rescuer. Someone has to come and help me out of this mess. I need you to come through. Won't you help me? And then when I've manipulated you into helping me, then I turn to someone else who meet the next level of need. So what happens is relationships become extremely unhealthy. Victims cannot develop an emotional closeness with anyone. And this, of course, you'll have a look in this thing tonight, is one of the key things. There's no possibility that relationship could work. It's doomed from the start because of the nature of it. So, victims. It's easier to play a victim than to be responsible. So here's some simple steps to get out of it. So I want to share with you some simple keys, and it's a journey. I wish I could just say we could get you up in an altar call and pray. We could fix it all up. It would be wonderful if we could do it. We can pray and break some things over your life. We can pray and impart some things into your life. We can lay hands and let you experience the flow of God's love. But essentially the journey out of victimhood is a journey of opening your heart to become vulnerable and to experience God's love and to change. It's a path of being vulnerable instead of building walls. The evidence that you have passed from death to life is in your capacity to love and celebrate and embrace people. Anytime you draw back from people, your love is growing cold. The issue is one of love. Oh, well, you don't understand what they did. No, 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 no. Actually, I'm not worried about what they did. The issue is your love is growing cold. Take ownership of what's happening in you as you are isolating and withdrawing. Okay, let's give you a few simple steps on. The first thing is to become aware of the pattern, become aware of the pattern. If we don't, if we're not aware of the pattern. So here's a few things you could think about. Uh, here's a few questions you could ask yourself. And just as I go through these things, I know you'll think of someone who's just like this and that they really need help. Actually, you'd be the one to help them. You could become their rescuer. And then when you don't come through for them, they'll turn on you. See? We have to, actually, Jesus is the only Savior. He is the only Savior. He's the only one who can save people. 
So we have to lead people to Him. Because in Him they find the love of God. In Him they find healing. In Him they find deliverance. In Him they find all they need. Not in us. We can give a little bit. Okay, here it is. Number one, become aware of the thinking patterns. So let me ask you a few questions. Just tick these off. Just perhaps it might be you. Do you have patterns in your relationships where they turn and go ugly? Do you have a history of hurting people or being hurt yourself? I'm hurt. I seem to get so hurt in relationships. Oh, you've got a problem inside you. Okay, then. Uh, do you blame yourself or blame others? Do you find you've got a blame thing going on in your life? That usually means a victim mentality. You find you're often frustrated, angry, resentful. You've probably got a victim mentality and are not recognizing you're operating out of I'm powerless, I have no choices when you really do. Uh, do you uh, feel smothered or have you felt smothered and unimportant in your family life? Usually what that means is you bury your feelings, bury your opinions, bury your desires, and you just do what you're told and inside you believe you're powerless. It follows you all through life. It's one of the biggest things I've had to come to face. Uh, what about some childhood experiences? If you come up and grown up with yelling and abuse in the home and you've learned to yell and people have yelled at you, it's almost certain you'll have victim mentality going on in your life. Uh, if there's been sexual abuse or physical or verbal abuse, if there's been uh, rejection or abandonment in your background, all of these things, or even a life-threatening emotional trauma, all of these things, the emotions associated with it cause people to come to a conclusion. And it's that conclusion they reach and how they handle it is what determines what goes on next. So a person who sees, say, a marriage breaks up and the child's at the age of five, he interprets it, there's terrible pain, a lot of pain. He interprets it, this means I'm unlovable. Dad has abandoned and rejected me. People are going to reject me. Now, once that's locked into a person's heart, their life will begin to cycle around that trauma, around that belief system. And believe it or not, it just keeps happening and happening and happening and happening and happening and happening. And they pray and they ask God to bless them. But the cycle keeps happening and happening and happening because it's rooted in the heart in bitterness, emotional trauma, grief, and judgments made about fathers or about men. I have seen this. Lynn would have seen this. Cecilia, all the people who counsel have seen this happen. And so there's a need to understand that the patterns often were formed in trauma or events when we're very young. So you ever think about, think about some of that. Here's the second thing is, is that once we become aware, man, I do behave a bit like a victim. I tend to blame others and don't take responsibility and I'm not willing to face up to things in my life and, and get proper ownership of it and look at choices. And actually, I don't really do too close in relationships. So, yeah, men don't do that, you know. And men are pretty tough. You don't get close. That's for sissy stuff for girls. Now, all that kind of nonsense is, is that's all it is. It's just a lame excuse for the real brokenness and inability to be intimate. So how do we get free? Number one, just become aware there's a problem. That's the biggest thing. Second is to take the decision, I'm going to own it and start to change. You've got to own it. It's my stuff. I've got to deal with it. There's no freedom unless I make a decision. It's my stuff. You can blame people for all your life, but until the day you say, I've got stuff it's time for me to face up and get to own my stuff. You can't change. You can come to church as much as you like, pray as hard as you like, until you own, I've got stuff, you don't change. We've got to say, man, I've got some things to face. That's why we run these courses, in restoration, deliverance and freedom and various kind of other courses. They're to help you own your stuff. Start to think about how you think. Start to begin to look at your belief system, how you work with finances and so on, how you work with relationships. So uh, you've got to own your stuff. So... 
What, what is it that I feel? What is it I really believe in my heart? What issues have I got that I've never faced? Is there someone I avoid or I have a reaction to when I'm with them or shut down when I'm with them? You know, you start to ask that question, you're going to start to get insight where the problems are. And third thing, ask the Holy Ghost. Ask the Spirit of God to help you to uncover what lies there. Sometimes you need to talk to someone and that'll help get you. Linda's like a razor when she does it. She goes straight down prophetically. <laughs> Before you know it, your tears have come. You, didn't even, you determined you weren't going to go there and cry. Then you're crying. Why are you crying? Because you've blocked off from your heart the true issues of your heart, and the moment someone puts a word on it or puts the truth into it, immediately the pain will surface. We don't need to be afraid of pain or isolate from pain or just go into our own world or medicate the pain. We need to recognize pain is part of life. There's a place of healing connected to people and connected to God where we can actually resolve it through talking about it, releasing forgiveness, repenting of our reactions. What do I need to do? I need to yield to the Holy Ghost direction. How many of you have felt the Holy Ghost talking to you about something? about a relationship, about an attitude, about something that keeps happening in your life, but you kept pushing it aside. He was trying to help you face something that's holding you back. Oh, it's just too painful. I don't want to go there. Well, okay, don't go there, but you're going to cycle through the problems until you do go there. Going there means having the courage to face your pain, bring it to the open in relationship with someone or with God, and then get to grips with what you need to solve whether it be a bitterness, whether it be unforgiveness, whether it be some judgment, whatever it is, God wants to heal you. He loves you. He went out to get the older boy and bring him back in. How come the older boy didn't get into the party? His own attitudes kept him out. He would rather be right in his own mind than enter relationship and celebration. He would rather stay in a place of anger and resentment than to move out of that into party time in the father's house. And that's what God has in mind. Party time in the Father's house with people who are filled with His love, filled with the extravagant love of the Father. You've got to open your life for that. So, yield to the Holy Ghost. He'll tell you what to do. And then it may be that you've got to spend a bit of time renewing how you think and how you act. We'll teach some things on that next year. How you think in relationships. How you interpret life. When you feel something, oh, what am I feeling? Where's it come from? What do I believe? What does God's Word say? And it takes time to reprogram your thinking, but you can do it with the Word of God. The truth is you're loved. Truth is you're accepted. Truth is nothing can separate you from the love of God. And let me just show you something. Now finish with this. When you go through adversity, affliction, difficulty, or pain, the first thing you feel is unloved, and what comes into your, out of your heart is what's in there. If you believe you're unlovable, then you'll struggle with the pain and isolate. But God loves us. And when we're in pain and in difficulty, he wants us to come near to him and near to one another, not run away. If we can start to change those patterns, God's going to bring such a river to heal. Right now, there's a river flowing through the church to heal hearts, to heal broken relationships, particularly men. I want to tell you now, there is a river flowing. It's been flowing for some months now. And it's been touching man after man after man to heal broken hearts, restore lives, and start men connecting in a different way. That's why we're having this breakfast coming up. It's to start talking about that journey that men need to make to move out of isolation and into being connected and whole. In this last few months, God has moved in the church. You just asked Lynn, 
man after man has come and broken down in the presence, weeping as God has put the finger on the issues that block relationship. I've been facing and experiencing these things happening. I've had people come to me, same thing, men weeping as God touches their heart. This is a time in the house of God when God is doing something fresh to connect us. The biggest reason people are disconnected is this. We've got blocks in the heart from being able to love. And we need a revelation of God's love and a removal of the blocks. God doesn't want you to think like a victim. He says, no matter what happens, so someone messed you around and betrayed you, oh, we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. And get, Notice it's not self-help stuff. We're conquerors through him, through a person, through a person who loves us, a loving person. See, and so someone rips you off, someone hurts you, someone betrays you. Yeah, we're more than conquerors through this Jesus Christ we have access to. This person who loves us, who reveals the Father's love, we have access to Him. Oh, we're going to be turning to Him. We're going to open up to His love. The riches of His love will grow in our life. We'll become overcomers in a greater way. You don't have to stay in a place of defeat all the time. Why should you? You're not called to that. God has brought you out of the bondage of slavery to fear and into knowing him as our Father, into his wonderful and glorious love. Who would turn away from that? Who would prefer to stay like the older brother in the house, bitter, resentful, angry, twisted, unloving, cold, unable to connect with the joy of what God is doing in others' lives. Woo, don't stay there. Those were the religious people, the Pharisees of the day. Jesus said this is a day of great rejoicing when there are two groups of people, those who don't know him are coming to know the Father's love, be restored and it's time to celebrate. And there are those who are in the house who don't know the Father's love coming to be restored and together celebrating the goodness and love of God. What a great God we serve. Amen. Why don't we give him a clap right now? Father, we thank you for your amazing love wherewith you have loved us and given your son and hold nothing back from us. Father, we open our hearts here. Just close your eyes for one, two more minutes. I wonder, is there any person here who's not yet received Jesus Christ and positioned yourself, opened your heart to have your sins forgiven and receive a flow of the love of God from heaven. Well, this is your day to do it. This is a great day to do it. Jesus said to everyone who received him, he gave power to become a child of God. Is that you today? Why don't you say, put your hand up and say, Pastor, I'm going to give my life to Jesus today. I want to give my life to the Lord today. Is there anyone here today? Right at that point, I want to give my life to Jesus. Just raise your hand right now. Would you raise your hands? Anyone here? Perhaps you may have fallen away from the Lord and you say, I need to come back to him today. I've got lots of other things in my heart. That fire is no longer burning. Perhaps today some of God has spoken to some of you about isolation and distance. And you may not have understood all I said, but when I talked about being isolated and working hard but never feeling you're good enough or making it, something registered with you. Please raise your hand and say, that's me. God bless, many hands. When I began to talk about thinking like a victim and it's not my fault and it's always someone else's fault and when someone tries to help you and adjust you, you just react to them and say, you're attacking me. Why are you attacking me? Why, why are you putting me down? And all they're trying to do is help you see something you can't see. You kind of go on. If that's you, you've got troubles. But you say, God, you're speaking to me today. 
That's right. God bless. God bless. Father, I just thank you for each person who's responded today. There would come a revelation, a river of your love to bring healing, restoration. Father, we want to live in the love of God. Whatever our circumstance, whatever's happening, we open our heart for an increasing awareness of your love. I can feel his presence just coming upon us right now. I could feel it from the beginning of the service. Just lift your hands. Open your heart. Just do something. Say, Father, I receive your love. I receive your love. Whatever blocks me from receiving more, show me. Show me. I want a journey into intimacy with you, knowing you, experiencing you, becoming secure, so I can actually represent you well. I don't want to be dysfunctional in my relationships, blaming, accusing, reacting. I want to be whole. Lord, I receive your love. I can feel his presence and love here right now. Musicians are just going to sing that song they're doing now. What I'd like you to do is reach out to someone next to you. Let the love that God has given you flow out of your heart into their life. Don't be stiff or awkward. Just can I pray for you? Ask their permission first. If they say no, respect that. It makes it safe for them. If someone doesn't want you to pray, that's okay. You don't have to. You need to respect them. But just ask the person, can I pray for you? I'd really love to pray for you and bless you. I want you to know God loves you.